You are listening to the Brady Farkas Show podcast. Thanks to Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber. You can always listen to the show live weekdays from 5.30 to 7 p.m. on WDEV AM and FM and streaming at WDEVradio.com. You can text in your thoughts 24-7 at 802-585-3026. That's 802-585-3026. The following is a presentation from WDEV Radio. Fast paced. They can go no huddle. They can go two tight ends. They can go play action. They can take shots down the field. They can run the ball with Cam. I love the options here. Opinionated. Mac Jones was a safe pick, but his ceiling is just Kirk Cousins. To the point. The Red Sox are better than I expected. I still don't think they're winning the division. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome in. Brady Farkas show on a Friday on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. When WDEV launched 90 years ago today, I don't know that they expected that 90 years later I'd be sitting here talking sports with you. But I am so happy that I am, and I'm happy for all of you, or I'm happy that I have all of you along with me every single night as well, and grateful to every listener that we have in all of our programming, but especially here on the Brady Farkas Show. Short show today. We go up until just 6 o'clock, a half-hour show, 6.05. The Red Sox are playing tonight against the Yankees. Here's where we're at. Six confirmed positives for the Yankees, none for the Red Sox right now, and no additional positives for the Yankees. So we will be playing baseball tonight. Eduardo Rodriguez against Jordan Montgomery from the Bronx. It is now a three-game series with the fourth game, last night's game, set to be made up as part of a doubleheader on August 17th. So Red Sox come into the second half of the year, a game and a half up on Tampa. They're eight up on the Yankees. Yankees now in a uh, pretty adverse spot to try to make up ground, but that's why they play the games. Red Sox can't take it for granted. Erod on the mound. We'll have the lineups for you just before 6 o'clock here on DEV. If you want to get in, you can, 802-585-3026. We will have our usual Friday Diamond discussion. Keegan Lamb of Baseball Prospectus is going to stop by to talk about the Red Sox draft. So uh, I'll ask him a question about Owen Kellington as well. He's a draft expert. So again, Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line is open at 802-585-3026. Let's go. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. The opening thoughts in the Brady Farkas show are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're always online at sticksandstuff.com. The comments made by Kike Hernandez yesterday on the Red Sox-Yankees postponement, they weren't right and I'm very disappointed in them. After the game was postponed last night, Hernandez told the Boston Globe this. Things happen for a reason. It's hard to make fun of the situation considering it's the other team's health and it's not the weather or anything like that, but everything happens for a reason. Everybody else got an extra day. We got our extra day one way or the other. That's incredibly poor tact from Kike Hernandez. That's incredibly poor tact for anyone, but especially a veteran player. He even said in his answer, it's hard to make fun of the situation. If you knew that and you had to warn us about that, you you never should have finished the thought. 
Kike Hernandez did not want to play last night. He thought it was BS that the Red Sox and Yankees were going to have to play when everyone else was given a day off. He, It's like he's taking joy in last night being postponed. Here was Kike Hernandez on Sunday, okay, before the final game, before the All-Star break. So on Sunday, five days ago, Kike Hernandez said he didn't want to play on Thursday. I think more important than that is the, the extra day of the break that MLB took away from us for some reason. But whatever, that's them and their logic of making schedules. And I guess 2018 need four days off and two teams don't. So uh, whatever. Hernandez was upset that there was a game scheduled last night. And he may have had a point about the lack of the extra day off. But I just don't think that you should be essentially basking in getting it because of a COVID outbreak within another organization. Well, look, I understand that it feels like COVID is over, especially in Vermont. To us, it feels like COVID is over. But this last night was another reminder that it's not. Bradley Beal taken off the U.S. Olympic basketball team because he's put in health and safety protocol. It's not over yet as much as we want it to be or hope that it is or think that it is in some cases. And look, I'm not trying to be preachy about this, but Kike Hernandez saw multiple players, six players on the Yankees, and last night when he made those comments, there were five players on his own team that were exposed to Aaron Judge who tested positive. So you have six players exposed on the Yankees and five players on your own team that could have come down with COVID. I don't think that that's something to joke about. He should have simply said to the Boston Globe, yeah, I wanted the extra day off all along, but I really didn't want it to get, I really didn't want to get it this way. I hope everyone is all right. That's what he should have said yesterday. Kike Hernandez has been around the league long enough to know that there's a right way and a wrong way to answer questions. And Kike Hernandez has been a human long enough to know that there's a right way and a wrong way to handle things. And last night, basically saying, basically laughing at it, saying, hey, I wanted the off day. Well, we got the off day. Things work out for a reason. You shouldn't be basking in the fact that six players for the Yankees were potentially sick and that five players on your own team might have come down with COVID and impacted your team and impacted your season and impacted their health potentially. I don't think that that's something to joke about. After the game, Red Sox manager Alex Cora, after the game was canceled rather, Red Sox manager Alex Cora, incredibly articulate, incredibly compassionate to the Yankees, and incredibly um, thoughtful when talking about his own players when he said that he was worried about them. That is how you handle this. Not in the kind of flip yeah, funny how that works out with a wry smile way that Kike Hernandez did. Am I overreacting? 802-585-3026. Am I overreacting or is Kike Hernandez completely insensitive to the situation? Because that is how it felt about that is how it felt to me. Kike Hernandez never wanted to play yesterday and was was happy that the team wasn't going to have to play. And he completely ignored the reason for that. And the reason for that is serious. When you look at the Red Sox, some of those players have had COVID and battled it. Eduardo Rodriguez missed all of last season because of COVID. I don't know that he would have appreciated the flip nature of Hernandez's comments. J.D. Martinez admitted that he had COVID in October, and it got him pretty good. He has bad asthma. He was always at risk for COVID. I don't know 
that he would enjoy the flip nature of Hernandez's comments. It's one thing if you don't think it's a big deal. It's another when everyone on your team is at risk of being compromised and when six players in the Yankees, your MLB brethren, are. I did not like the way that Kike Hernandez handled that yesterday. That's now two things in two weeks the Red Sox have done that I haven't liked in terms of how they've handled things. There was Adam Adovino last week going at Shohei Otani completely unnecessarily, and there's Kike Hernandez yesterday kind of shrugging off the reason why the game was postponed and taking joy that he got the extra day that he always coveted. As for what this now means for the Red Sox, I don't really know. So we know now that there have been no additional positive tests today, Red Sox or Yankees. So for the moment, the Red Sox look like they are out of the woods on this Yankees-Aaron Judge situation. But Alex Cora said that, I think we're going to be aggressive as far as testing goes. We talked about it yesterday. It doesn't matter if you're vaccinated or not. I think the smart thing to do is get back to what we did earlier in the season. So maybe what the Red Sox do is have a stricter adherence to previous COVID protocol. This is a team who's going for a division title. This is a team who's going for a World Series at this point. They cannot afford to have players drop out of a pennant race because of COVID. So maybe all the work they do is behind the scenes and they do extra or reinvigorated testing, or maybe the work they do is out in front of, and out in front of us. I, maybe we'll see the Red Sox wearing masks tonight. I don't know. The Red Sox have not hit the 85% vaccination threshold, so they can't, they're not completely open in their clubhouse. They're not supposed to be. Tom Goodwin, their first base coach, not vaccinated, whereas it has been wearing a mask all season. Maybe the Red Sox start wearing a mask again. They cannot afford to have their season derailed by COVID or impacted by COVID negatively. I don't know what all this means in terms of a wake-up call for Alex Cora and his crew. As for what this means for the Yankees, this comes at absolutely the worst time for them. They're eight games back of the Red Sox. They haven't beaten them yet this year. And now they're out in ace bullpen piece in Jonathan Loisega. They're out Nestor Cortez Jr., who since June 3rd has an ERA of .82. So they're out two good bullpen arms. They're out their best overall offensive piece in Aaron Judge. They're out a starting infielder in Gio Urshela and their and their personal catcher for Garrett Cole and Kyle Higashioka. This is a huge series for the Yankees. This is a huge week for the Yankees, and they are going at this thing, I don't know, at 50%. The Yankees will not have those six players. They don't have Luke Voigt, who's injured. Aaron Hicks, who's out for the year. Clint Frazier, who's out. I mean, the Yankees are a shell of themselves right now at the worst possible time. I mean, and all of this is complicated by the fact that the trade deadline is coming up. The Yankees, we already didn't know if they should be buyers at the deadline. Well, now, because of who they're missing, if they go through the next week and go 2-5, and five, they may find themselves definitely not buyers, and they may find themselves sellers. This not only impacts this playoff for this week rather this series and this week this impacts the rest of the season in terms of what they do ideologically inside their organization absolutely the worst possible timing for something like this to happen 
for the Yankees. Again, first pitch is coming up at uh, 7.05. Eduardo Rodriguez on the mound against Jordan Montgomery. We'll have the full lineups for you in about uh, 15 minutes here on WDEV. What we're going to do is we're going to step aside. We're going to come back, and we're going to talk with uh, Keenan Lamb. Keenan Lamb from Baseball Prospectus. Outside of Red Sox-Yankees drama this weekend, Red Sox had a big, big week already with the Major League Baseball draft. They snagged maybe the best overall prospect in this draft. Just how good might Marcelo Meyer be, and what does it mean for the Red Sox future? Keenan Lamb, Baseball Prospectus draft expert, is next on WDEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on a Friday on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. The show brought to you in part by Pro Driver Training. They're online at ProDriverCDL.com. They are Vermont's premier truck driver training school. They've got a facility up in Enosburg and one in Milton. If you're looking for the next step in your career and maybe a decision that could change your life, well, maybe this is the career for you. They offer Class A CDL, Class B CDL training courses. They've got all the materials that you need. You're going to get all the requisite courses that you need at time behind the wheel, time with an instructor, time in the books. Again, if you want to make the investment in yourself, then Pro Driver Training might be the uh, the next move for you, the next call that you make. They're online at ProDriverCDL.com. Again, that's ProDriverCDL.com. Red Sox-Yankees coming up tonight at, again, 6.05, 7.05 with the first pitch. But it was a busy week for the Red Sox prior to this weekend. Sox had the Major League Baseball draft, as did all teams, and Sox did pretty well. Round one, pick number four. Yes, I wanted Jack Leiter, but they did get the high school shortstop, arguably the top prospect in all the draft in Marcelo Meyer, a shortstop, left-handed hitter. We're going to learn all about him and others right now as we get to our Friday Diamond discussion. Joining us on the phone line is Keenan Lamb. He's a draft expert over at Baseball Prospectus. Keenan, thanks for being with us. I'm sure it was a busy week for you. How are you? Brady, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's it's been a very good week for the Red Sox. I mean, all-star games, showcasing their players, going up against the Yankees in first place. And then they had one of the better drafts of the teams this past week, too. Well, let me start with Marcelo Meyer. I was all in on Jack Leiter. Like, I wanted Jack Leiter, and it was probably recency bias because I just saw him pitch in the College World Series, and he's got the pedigree. So I was disappointed to see him go at number two to Texas. But when I found out they got Meyer, and it's like, whoa, a lot of people had him number one overall. How good is this kid? Yeah, it's a heck of a consolation prize, right? <laughs> so, yeah, Jack Leiter was the number one pitcher in the draft. Um, there's a reason why he wouldn't go number one overall, because usually pitchers, they only you know go 30 to 33 times a year, whereas you would rather have a position player who's going to play potentially 160 games a season. So that's where kind of the value discrepancy is there. And with Meyer going from not one, not two, and very surprisingly not three to the Tigers, getting all the way to four with the Red Sox, he's a heck of a player. He's very good defensively. He's got one of the purest strokes that you're going to find out of a high schooler. Uh, Very good offensively. People are going to believe he's going to grow into some power when he physically matures a little bit. He might have to slide over to third base eventually, but he, he was, by many people's accounts, the best player in the draft, and the fact that Red Sox got him at four was a coup. I've heard the comps, you know, and I was you know, I was watching the draft and Jonathan Mayo and Harold Reynolds were on for the MLB Network, and I heard Corey Seager, 
And he kind of looks like that physically, kind of long and lanky. Do you see a Seager-esque comparison there? I mean, Seager's a very popular comparison for a lot of reasons. Just that, that kind of like rangy, uh, good athlete, good swing. Um, I think he actually, believe it or not, looks his swing looks a little bit more like his younger, his older brother Kyle Seager, but with mm. the physicality of Corey Seager, if that makes okay, sense. So it's yeah. kind of like you you, you smush two Seagers together and you get, <laughs> I guess, Marcelo Meyer. But uh, yeah, I mean, he's from an uh, from an output value standpoint, what he could eventually provide. You're hoping for a guy like Corey Seager who's going to be, you know, an, an All Star candidate year in year out, and that's the kind of guy I think the Red Sox are thinking that they got. When you draft a high school player who's as highly regarded as Meyer is, what is a realistic timeline? Should we expect to see him at 21 or, you know, 24? Like, are we five years away from Marcelo Meyer at the big league level? I mean, it really depends on each player's development curve. And I would say that in Meyer's case, you know, he's a little bit ahead of where you would expect someone maybe his age to be at, which is why he's taken in the top five. I, th- I think that, uh, you know, without getting too far ahead of ourselves, uh, you know, maybe 2023, 2024, like, could start talking about that that area. Yeah. It really just depends on how he takes to the coaching and the player development with the Red Sox. And, I mean, there, there's guys like Jared Kelenic for from the Mariners who was just taken a couple of years ago, and here he is making his debut, you know, with the Mariners this year. So it can happen quickly. And if it doesn't happen quickly, that's okay. Like, some guys just need an extra couple of years, and they figure it out. And you get a guy like Jaron Duran, who's debuting, you know, this week. Yeah. For Red Sox is the same kind of guy. Keenan Lamb over at Baseball Prospectus covers the MLB draft. He's here with us on the Brady Farkas show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. We're getting way ahead of ourselves, but I like to play this game. As a Red Sox guy, I'm banking on Rafael Devers' long-term at third, and I'm banking on Xander Bogarts' long-term at short. If that's the case, is Meyer a guy that could play second in the future, or is he really only a left side of the infield guy? I mean, he's got the talent to play anywhere. If he can play short, he can play second. And if he can play short, he can play third. Uh, I think he probably can play short. He might have might lose a step when he, he finally kind of fills out a little bit, so maybe his range in the hole might not be as well. But then again, Xander Bogart doesn't have, like, the best range playing shortstop either. So I think... We when we get to that point a few years down the road, it, it'll be interesting to see where they go. He could even move into the outfield, play left field mm-hmm. easily with with the Green Monster there. Um, I, I think it's it's way too early to worry about where he does play in a Red Sox lineup with those two you know outstanding you know cornerstone pieces they already have. You mentioned it was a good overall draft for the Red Sox. We know they took the Florida outfielder in the second round. You know I'm following it kind of passively here. What made the rest of their draft so good? Well, get past you know the 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 best player in the draft falling in your lap at, at pick number four. They still had a really good draft beyond that. So their second round pick, Judd Fabian, was thought by yeah. many to be a top ten pick before the college season started at the University of Florida. He had some struggles, struck out quite a lot this year, but he still showed a ton of power potential. He's an above average defender in center field. And if they can get him to sign, that would be a heck of a pick for them in the second round because he has a whole lot of potential, and he's young for his class. Mm. I think he just turned 20, so he's not even that much older than Marcelo Meyer, and yet he's got a couple years of SEC play already under his belt. 
And then in the next guy, too, their third-round pick, Tyler McDonough at North Carolina State had a heck of a year, and they almost got his team all the way to the College yeah. World Series finals, if not for their little COVID outbreak that, that happened there in Omaha. But he was a very fast riser in this year's draft uh, rankings just because he can switch hit. He can do a little bit of everything, has a lot of positional flexibility. I thought he was an excellent pick for them in the third round as well. I've been a huge fan of what Hyam Bloom has done at the major league level and also in terms of rebuilding the farm system. Um, did his draft follow any kind of trends? Was it more high school heavy, more college heavy, more pitcher heavy? Did he follow any kind of trends or was he just, hey, best player available here, here, and here? You know, I was a bit surprised this year actually to see that there was a trend that you could kind of follow between each team. Whereas I thought the high school class this year was better than normal. It, it was a very deep, very talented high school class led by Marcelo Mayer. And I expected a lot more high schoolers to go uh, it, towards the top of the first couple of rounds. And we really didn't see that as much. I think there's just there were so many of them. It was going to be hard to afford a lot of the, the these bonus slot demands that those players were going to be asking for. So with the Red Sox taking Meyer, they went very college heavy after that. And I think they followed suit with a lot of other teams trying to do the same thing. You go with a player who has a couple years in college. They're a little bit more physically developed. They've been playing against better competition. It's just an easier type of player to scout without all of the uh, unknowns that happens with a, you know, a high school player who's playing sometimes against not the best competition and they're still kind of figuring themselves out physically. I'm going to ask you an off-the-wall question. If you don't know the answer, you can pass. That's fine. But uh, we had a Vermonter drafted this year in the draft, the highest ever drafted Vermonter in the summer draft, fourth round by the Pirates. Um, he's a high school kid. The slot value with that pick is $571,000. I think he's going to sign. It seems pretty evident to me he's going to sign. But given that he has the leverage of going back to college, do you think the Pirates have to go above that slot value? Is that usually how this works for high school kids? Well, specifically talking about the Pirates and what they did, because they did not take Marcelo Meyer with the first overall pick, they saved a little bit of money by picking Henry Davis, the catcher out of Louisville, and then taking the savings instead of spending $8 million dollars on their first overall pick, they're probably going to get somewhere close to $5 million, I think, with Henry Davis. You can then allocate that savings to future picks down in, in future rounds. So they ended up yeah. doing that with three separate high schoolers in the second round, the third round, and the fourth round with all guys who were thought to have million-dollar bonus demands. So when you get to the fourth round, uh, or the yeah, the fourth round is what a fourth or fifth yep. round, I believe. Um, when you get to uh, – I'm, I'm – I'm, Help me with his name, right? Owen <laughs> like, Kellington. Uh, Owen Kellington. Killington. Kellington is what I, I knew it was something like that. Uh, you know, he actually had a very good showing in the MLB draft combine, which is yep. kind of how he got on a lot of people's radars. And he's a guy who you might be able to get him for a round slot, but I think because of the other players asking for well above that, it'll be just some accounting. You know, can we save a little bit here in later rounds to maybe – get you know just a little bit above it really depends on how intent he was on going to college uh, i'm not familiar with with his college commitment or what his intents were uh, but they, they, there is going to be money there uh, potentially if they need to sign him over slot keenan lamb baseball prospectus covers the draft giving us great info on owen kellington which i threw at him a curveball but he nailed it and then on the red sox as well keenan we appreciate it we will definitely do it again sometime 
Thank you very much, Brady. Appreciate it. Yeah, me too as well. That was our Friday Diamond discussion with Keenan Lamb of Baseball Prospectus. Good stuff there if you're a Red Sox fan. Like, I know you're years away from Marcelo Meyer. It doesn't feel like, you know, anything all that big, but to get him at four sounds like a coup. And no, it wasn't Jack Leiter, but there's a lot of value in getting position players in the draft high up that play every single day rather than a pitcher. So the Red Sox needed pitching. I wanted quick pitching to answer a lot of questions about the future of their staff. But if you weren't going to get that, the Marcelo Meyer certainly is a good consolation prize. So that full interview will be available on the Brady Farkas Show podcast channel on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. My last point for the week comes as a result of the Red Sox lineup. Sox lineup against the Yankees in game one of this now three-game series. Erod's on the mound for Boston against Jordan Montgomery, the lefty. For the Sox leading off in center, it's Kike Hernandez, Alex Verdugo's in left. J.D. Martinez is the DH, and Xander Bogarts is at short. Rafael Devers is at third. Hunter Renfro's in right. Christian Vasquez is the catcher. Christian Arroyo's at second, and Bobby Dahlbeck's at first. For the Yankees, D.J. LeMahieu's at third. Giancarlo Stanton, the DH. Rugnet Odor is at second. Gary Sanchez, the catcher. Glaber Torres at short. Brett Gardner in center. Chris Gittins at first. Trey Ambergay, the former Vermont Mountaineer, He's in right, making his major league debut, and Tim LaCastro is in left. So a different lineup for the Yankees for sure. Reason why I wanted to mention the lineup now is because you'll notice for the Red Sox that Jaron Duran is not in it. And the reason why Jaron Duran is not in it is because Jordan Montgomery is a left-handed pitcher. And Alex Cora said that the team was going to kind of protect Duran against lefties. He was going to play against righties. They were going to protect him against lefties. I got to say, I wholeheartedly disagree with that. You are, you know what? Let me see. I wholeheartedly disagree with it. And the reason why is because if you think as highly of Jaron Duran as you've told us that you do, and as we're supposed to feel about him, he should be capable of playing every single day or near capable of playing every single day. If Jaron Duran's as good as they say he is, he is a cornerstone piece for me in the future. And I want him to play. I don't want to see him three quarters of the time or half the time. If you thought he was ready, then he is ready. And if he's going to struggle against lefties, then he's not ready. You brought him up because you thought he was ready. He should be playing every single day. Steve Lyons, former Sox broadcaster, former Sox player, was on the show with us this week. He said the same thing even before this. And usually, you know, people will use the excuse, well, I don't want to ruin his confidence. You know, I got news for you. <laughs> if you can ruin a guy's confidence, I don't want him as my teammate. I don't mm. care if he goes 0 for 40 because that guy's going to wake up the next day thinking he's going to get two hits on this day coming to the ballpark. Because if he doesn't, then I don't want him. I don't want him here. I don't want a guy that puts his tail between his legs and goes away with a little adversity, whether he's a new player or a rookie player in the, in the big leagues or he's been around for 10 years. If Jaron Duran is ready, then Jaron Duran should be ready to play and play a lot. And the fact that the Red Sox are going to baby him, I think, stunts his development. I get it. You're at a crossroads. You want to win a World Series while also developing your young players for the future. You had a decision to make, and I don't think that they made the right one. Play him every day in AAA or play him every day at the big leagues. But this half-and-half thing, that doesn't work for me. We'll see you on Monday, everybody. Our party tomorrow on Stowe Street, 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. Happy 90th birthday to us. Thank you to you. We'll see you tomorrow. It's WDEV. Sox Baseball is next.